1: live from brussels this is the late late show with jeff pedley and you are listening live hello good
2: evening welcome to the late late show tonight i will be exploring curriculum design and enhancement with my special guest martin robinson with over 20 years' experience as a teacher and school leader and everything in between, before becoming a successful writer, Martin has recently released a book called Curriculum Revolutions, which aims to be a practical guide to enhancing learning. This what you teach.
1: is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio.
2: Hello, thank you for joining me tonight on this Thursday evening on the 18th of January. Uh, How do you design your curriculum? What are your priorities? How much autonomy do your teachers have or do they think they have? How do you audit the quality of your curriculum? Hopefully, Marty will help us answer a few of these questions and more tonight. However, if you would like to get involved, remember you can contact us at TT Radio Official on Twitter and the usual social media outlets or my personal handle at Jeff underscore pedley, J E F F underscore P-E-D-L-E-Y. But without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest tonight who is Martin Robinson, who has worked in East London State Skills for more than 20 years as a teacher, head of department, head of faculty, advanced skills teacher, and as a school leader. For the past 10 years, he has worked as an educational consultant, delivering CPD, workshops and keynote speeches about curriculum design, teaching methodology and culture, both in the UK and around the world. And he has recently released a book through John Catt Publications called Curriculum Revolutions, which is a practical guide to enhancing what you teach. Hello, Martin. How are we today? Hello,
3: Jeff. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you?
2: Yeah, good. Thank you. You've you, you said you've had a, a little bit of a problem with toothache this morning.
3: I have this morning, yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll soldier on through, as they say.
2: Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's been a very uh, busy Christmas period, etc., and, and trying to get this done. I'm really excited to be talking to you today about curriculum design, really, and uh, and and the book that you've got out, Curriculum Revolutions. Uh, just to start with, could you give me a little bit of uh, information about your background? How, were you, you were a, t- a secondary school teacher b- beforehand?
3: I before, before I wrote this and I've been, um, let's think, I've, the last 10 years, I've been an education consultant for my sins. And I've written, this is my fourth book. Um, before that, I was a teacher for 20 years uh, in Northeast London, in state schools um i was mainly not all the time but mainly a teacher of drama and taught a bit of english and media studies on the side with pshe of course
2: yeah.
3: and also a, a leader as they say going into senior leadership teams and and that sort of thing i oh an ast an advanced skills teacher so oh. i must be good
2: i must be good definitely I've got no I've got no doubt about it uh what was your favorite subject to teach
3: oh drama yeah without a doubt yeah (laughs) why drama because you could do what you damn well wanted to really (laughs) and no one understood it you know the (laughs) the the senior team would just look through the door and and in abject horror at what was going on there and they you know they there were no desks to see children sat at and no pens and paper for them to scroll on and and uh they were just screaming
2: and shouting and running around as far as senior management could work out <laughs> i think that leads nicely onto my first question <laughs> so you've you've uh recently released a book called curriculum revolutions which is uh, a john capp public- publication and the main focus of this book is well as a subtitle as, as a practical guide to enhancing what you teach now the focus on curriculum there's a of course a heavy focus on curriculum design and I'm quite interested in what you observed of curriculum design at the start of your career
3: yeah so my own I suppose my own experience was being asked to teach get here's a job and then get on with it I wasn't given anything at all in terms of what lessons to teach in what order to teach them or anything there was a stock cupboard in the English department and with a file in it with schemes of work that I could take it should I so wish and obviously there would be sets of novels and poems and and things like that that if you weren't at there quick enough all the best ones would go and you'd be left with whatever there was left you know um so yeah a very odd thing because I wasn't trained as an English teacher at all and my PGCE was in drama I did that there was a small part of it that did you might have to teach some English so we'll do four weeks of stuff on English which was four sessions four lessons if you like lectures on english teaching and that that was it really so with my four lectures in tow and a stock cupboard and all the english teachers would go to the pub on a friday and we that's where i did most of my finding out about english really english teaching was in the pub and oh that would be a good idea yeah let's do a bit of that yeah that's fine and uh it's it's a very odd way of approaching it it's absolutely lovely for someone like me who's a maverick teacher you know who enjoyed that approach but I'm not sure it was much good for the pupils I was teaching I mean at parents evenings I'd get strange questions like how are you teaching them to read and 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 things like that <laughs> really yeah. oh should I be doing some of that I didn't know they couldn't read well they can read but I mean improve their reading you know um yeah so it's it's so i've got a scale in in the book where i look at from the most anarchic approach of teaching which my start in teaching was the anarchic the teacher does it all in any order the way they want to whatever they want to, to the most controlled form of teaching which is um following a script like you would do if you're in a call center um, the head of department sitting there in the in the classroom, checking your on script all the way through, including the questions you might ask and answers you might give, whatever it happens to be. Um, so from the anarchic to the authoritarian, if you like, and I've got a, 10 points in between, and try and get people to judge where they are in their department or, or their school and where perhaps they think they ought to be. And my thoughts are, have moved from, yes, it's great for the teacher to be as anarchic as possible, but I think for the students, we need to be far more together than I was at the beginning, <laughs> um, and far more lucid in, in our curriculum narratives, the way they hold together, and and so that children get messages that are consistent, that are joined up thinking, that, are enable them to think about concepts over time so you don't just it's not just a set of information one damn thing after another learn it uh, disconnected nuggets of knowledge if you like it's actually concepts ideas thoughts that take time to grow and that's more of a proper education And, and to me the role of a curriculum is is to actually enable kids I call them kids what do you call them Pupils, students to students, enable yeah. yeah to enable students to really get a hold of the terrain of the subjects they are learning about
2: yeah thank you i i was just reading you, in your introduction you said you loved the freedom i was an artist that yeah you know uh, uh yeah sorry. and and absolutely and it's
3: it's the Strange thing about schools, of course, that no matter what we say or do outside of the classroom, we can close that classroom door and do as we damn well want until the Learn Walk people can't turn up, you know, and open the door mm. and quickly <laughs> everyone back in you. <laughs> We're actually doing this, and you know, I'm going to ask yeah. you some questions. I, when I've been sleeping until this moment, you know, you can do what you damn well like to a point, but um the team playing aspect of it is, is underplayed because we get no time to work together. The amount of time we have out of the classroom is minimal. And then the amount of time we have together to actually work together creatively and in, in, in any depth whatsoever is minimal. And you take out departing meetings and staff meetings, et cetera, which tend to be administrative then how much time do we actually get to work together so the the pressure mm. is on people to just make things up as they go along in the classroom to to hope for the best or have a script have um these are the powerpoints you must use these are we have bought this scheme of work in you must you must follow the textbook and that's all well and good if the textbook the lessons you're teaching that have been scripted for you or or the powerpoint slides actually chime with your knowledge and your way of teaching and and what you want to teach so we we have this tension within us
2: hmm.
3: to to uh, somehow find i think a happy medium between the two and that that is the creative teacher being allowed to do their own thing but within a team of people who share the same vision and Mm. are singing from the same hymn sheet um building the culture of the department they're working in in the school they're working in and have what i call buy-in they really do share Mm. the curriculum vision of this school, which is why they they have to teach in similar ways, similar things in, in a way that builds up over time for the pupils they teach. But you know, it's it's certainly difficult.
2: How do you think curriculum curriculum leaders should deal with Matherick teachers? <laughs> <laughs> hang
3: on um, is this retrospective <laughs> uh, no no
2: no <laughs> um, we uh, I mean for example we have uh a big diverse maybe sorry there's a big diversity in the in the size of departments we have an English department that maybe has 20 teachers we might have a food tech de- department that has one on rotation perhaps uh, and I like
3: the idea of a food tech teacher on rotation <laughs> like on a rotisserie <laughs> <laughs> slowly basting themselves sorry, come on. sorry. Uh, that's...
2: no 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 uh... <laughs>
3: slightly surreal.
2: i've just got this image in my head now as well yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't move on but I just that's as the, <laughs> as, the, as the students come in there's like a, a kebab or something yeah, are, no. <laughs> that's... <laughs> that's on. That's so anyway <laughs> anyway uh how uh oh, I, my going back to your autonomy uh scale how should we
3: answer the question how should we cope with these maverick teachers yes do you want me to answer that
2: yes please how do you how do you cope with these maverick teachers
3: yeah i think there's there's a book by i think it's matthew syed called rebel ideas Hmm. Um, and it's about how you actually use people who have different viewpoints than the main and actually value that now obviously we could get into sort of climate change denial and all that sort of discussion (laughs) Mm. and and um perhaps anti-vaxxers and all these sorts of things I'm not talking I'm talking about in the confines of your school your teachers have there that actually the voices who, who sort of say no to this or no to that are very useful and should be embraced in that way but but not in a destructive sense that, but in a constructive sense, they're very useful voices to have and not ignore. I don't mean, haha, yeah, thank you for that. Let's ignore it. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this, but actually to test out the quality of ideas that we all have. But what you do need to say to them at some point is we all have to reach a conclusion. We all have to share the same viewpoint at some point in this process so with the idea that all things can be aired all things can be shared mm. that we're not here to just nod things through and do whatever the head of department or or whoever is in charge of this particular process says in order to live a quiet life and then we close our doors etc because in the end you're saying the important thing here is a shared culture a shared view because we want to improve the quality of education for the children we're teaching so the focus has to be on the quality of education for the children not the quality of how you live your life as a teacher and all that you, you there's a greater good
2: mm.
3: a, a common good if you like that we all have to bite our lip at points and say okay i will now calm this down yeah i will accept the viewpoint here with the proviso that the next time you look at this which is a continual process curriculum is a continual process of design that these things could be looked at again and perhaps i was wrong or perhaps i've been proven right or perhaps the jury is still out you know so this is it's never finished and that's the thing you haven't lost the argument but Mm -hmm. we have put it off for a bit so we're not going to teach that text or we're not going to teach that in that order. We're going to teach it in different order, or we're not going to teach that to that year group. We're going to teach that later, whatever it happens to be that much mayhem and disaster in that particular meeting,
2: you know, what do you think is the biggest disruption to effective curriculum design?
4: It, it's, it's, that
2: it, it's teachers
3: doing their own thing and, and not, not being able to um really share the same viewpoint i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's something i see a lot um is the idea that it's not looked at very structurally the curriculum is thought of as one damn thing after another right you're going to teach this i'm going to teach that and we just accept that someone knows how to teach it etc etc also that there's no relationship between breadth and depth that big concepts aren't thought about so children have extreme difficulty traveling across the terrain if you like they might know bits and bobs here and there like isolated chunks Mm. but they don't really know how the whole thing hangs together and that's what I most often see, if you like, that that um, how the thing hangs together hasn't really been emphasized enough. And I mean and I, I explore this in the book. I mean I'll go through this in detail in the book so I, I it's difficult to explain it all here. Mm. but generally, if we're looking at let's go to the example of the food tech teacher. The poor food tech teacher there he is there she is six lessons perhaps in year seven six lessons in year eight on a carousel with loads of other technology subjects perhaps and what do they teach well for a start the structure of the subject is letting them down because there is not enough time to teach the subject it is a tick box exercise to say we've taught a bit of food technology if that's it but let's say that we're happy with that okay so it's a tick box exercise then how do we make it a rich exercise for the kids well a rich exercise for the kids would be something that teaches them about the terrain of the world of cookery the whole world of cookery of course the cuisines international cuisine you know different cultures
0: mm.
3: way of approaching it but let's say we're in France you're you're in Belgium so it's perhaps a similar sort of thing to France let's say in France we only teach one school and that's the French school well how would the French school the Escoffier school or, or whatever we want to mm. call it how would they well they'd start with sauces perhaps making a roux not making a shepherd's pie you know or not making an apple pie or not making a lasagna or a curry or, or whatever these things happen to be they, they start with the idea that we're going to teach you how to create French cuisine and we're going to teach you from the things that unite the subject together which might be sauces um i don't know you know what what are the things that unite your subject what are the biggest ideas in your subject so it might be your teaching science where you perhaps you start with particles with energy with real explanations about what these different things are i i don't know you know for 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 drama teaching it might be genre um different genres or obvious one tragedy and comedy the two drama masks you know the big things that that take us into a subject um to allow kids to be able to think beyond the specifics of what they're taught now how all that hangs together is is um is important and i think that's the that's the biggest difficulty schools have is is trying to work against timetable restrictions for some subjects some subjects get masses of time english for example maths masses of time you could do loads of stuff
2: there you know what advice have you got for leaders when they're beginning to write curriculum aims but um, i guess in relation to priorities as well when they first imagine a young leader or a younger leader maybe less experienced taking over a department how do they prioritize what to focus on when they're writing their initial aims
3: yeah it's because it's a circle a revolution and you're coming in in the middle no matter where you are so your aims are already sort of dictated to you by what has happened before where we are so Mm. before your aims perhaps you need an audit looking out exactly where we are but then you have of course the highfalutin aims which is to say right okay forgetting everything let's just say the most important thing here is to join this thing up to create the curriculum narrative or the, the way that the thing hangs together we need to ensure this curriculum that we are writing hangs together not just on a website not just on bits of paper not just in the heads of our teachers but in the minds of our students and it needs to hang together there that that i think is is the noble aim if you like (laughs) the the central aim that we need to start with is to say does it make sense Hmm. how do we know that ask a kid how does this work for you? Right, what does describe your curriculum? Just tell me when taught, tell me about the sense of what you know about the things you've been taught. How does it hang together? So it's not a series of separate things. Oh, we did a bit of that, then we did a bit of that, then we did a bit of that, then uh, oh, then it was half term, then we did that. Did we do that? No, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did that. <laughs> And instead of that, it's a form of narrative, of understanding of the subject itself and what it means to be a student of that subject at this moment.
2: In other words, where I have been, where I am and where I'm going. Thank you, Martin. We're going to have a very short break, but when we come back, we'll be focusing in more detail at what we can do as leaders and teachers to enhance the curriculum we're teaching, and indeed how to audit and maintain the quality of the content we have.
0: This show is brought to you in partnership with Jogcat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
5: Strike action dominates the news again, with a range of outlets reporting on disputes across England, Wales and Scotland. Whilst the NASUWT union reported 9 out of 10 teachers who voted in a ballot overpay, voted in favour of strike action in England and Wales, the union also reported only a 42% turnout. This is below the threshold needed for lawful strike action. The union stated that whilst a strike would now not go ahead, the union remains in formal dispute with the government. The NEU is yet to release the results of its ballot and will also need to reach the 50% member turnout needed for lawful industrial action. In Scotland, the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association has warned of further strike action following walkouts by primary and secondary staff. It says it has no option unless the Scottish government puts forward a suitable pay offer. The EIS union and Scottish NASUWT members also aim to continue with strike action until an agreement is reached. Scottish Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville maintains that the demand for a 10% pay rise continues to be unaffordable. Meanwhile, the University and College Union has announced 15 new strike days planned across 150 UK universities in February and March. It has said that a pay offer worth between four and 5% made during recent talks is not enough, although the group representing university employers says that the offer is actually worth up to 7%. This comes after the government announced that tuition fees in England will be frozen for another two years. Although this is good news for students, the strikes mean more disruption to courses already affected by the pandemic. However, the National Union of Students has been broadly supportive of the industrial action, at least so far. Away from strike action, there have been further stories focusing on what should be taught in schools. This time, the focus is on educating pupils in the dangers of social media in spreading messages that are misogynistic and deeply toxic. The HuffPost website reports on Labour MP Alex Davy-Jones, who called in Parliament for ministers to do more to stamp out Andrew Tate-style misogyny and to stop boys being brainwashed. The MP asked what was being done to tackle radicalisation of young men, but PM Rishi Sunak responded that he was proud that this government launched the world-leading, world-first online safety bill. He also made reference to the autumn statement announcement of £2 billion of extra funding to schools. Although he did not respond with any direct reference to Tate, the online safety bill is expected to complete its final stages in the Commons shortly before heading to the House of Lords. New figures released recently show that school absences in December were almost double the annual rate and that this was due to illness. The absence rate, as reported in the Evening Standard, was 14.3% across state schools in the week beginning December the 12th, an increase from 7.8% across the year. The Department for Education in England said the increase was due to a rise in sick days as a result of winter illnesses such as flu, as well as COVID-19 and Strep A infections such as Scarlet Fever. In the Channel Island of Jersey, BBC News reports that the government has brought in 11 UK supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The short-term and long-term measures have been put in place due to staffing shortages and the supply teachers will cover for up to two terms. Short-term housing has been organised for those travelling to the island. The Jersey government said the current vacancy rate for Jersey was 4.3%, but that the long-term plan was to train, recruit, retain and upskill school staff. Finally, the Meanwhile in the Middle East section of the CNN website reports on the United Arab Emirates' plan to become the first Arab nation to teach about the Holocaust in its schools. The move has been praised by some and criticised by others. The nation revealed its plans in a recent tweet and intends to include Holocaust education in both primary and secondary schools. The UAE says it will work with Tel Aviv and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, to help build the new curriculum. Whilst many see the move as part of the normalisation of relations with Israel, critics suggest that it does not reflect all of those living in the UAE, with many disagreeing with this policy. Full details of the story can be found on the CNN website, with comments on both sides explored in detail. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, let's start the new year with investigating the power of artificial intelligence in education. A lot of people are asking, does your school block chat GPT? First of all, what is it? Chat Generative Pre-trained Transformer, or GPT for short, is a piece of software designed to mimic talking to a person. The difference is, this person is super clever, and it's been trained by thousands of conversations in the past, and it remembers them all. There are lots of chatbots out there. GPT is popular with young people as the answers it gives are not only correct, but can be slightly different each time, so it's more difficult for a teacher to spot a copy-and-paste homework. Let's put it to the test with a couple of school questions. I'm using a screen reader to represent ChatGPT to give it a voice. Responses are usually in text and appear as if they're being typed really quickly. I asked, what are the registers in a processor? And I got...
4: Registers are a type of memory that is built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer. They are used to store data and instructions that the CPU needs to access quickly in order to perform its functions. There are different types of registers, each with a specific purpose. For example, the instruction register stores the current instruction that the CPU is executing, while the program counter register stores the address of the next instruction to be executed.
1: I'll stop GPT there, as three paragraphs were given in this answer, and it's only a one-on-two mark question. So I asked, can you tell me in two sentences? And I got...
4: Registers are small, high-speed memory units built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer that are used to store data and instructions. They allow the CPU to access and manipulate data and instructions quickly, enabling it to carry out complex tasks at high speeds.
1: Well, thank you, GPT. That's much more to the point. Powerful, right? How about, can you summarize Of Mice and Men?
4: Of Mice and Men is a novella by John Steinbeck, published in 1937. It tells the story of George Milton and Lenny Small, two displaced migrant ranch workers during the Great Depression in California. Despite their apparent differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. The novella ends tragically when Lenny, a simple-minded man with a love for soft things, accidentally kills a ranch owner's wife while trying to touch a soft dress, and George is forced to make the difficult decision to euthanize Lenny before he can be punished for the crime.
1: That's fantastic. However, there's some words in there that are quite big, and my teacher would be quite suspicious that I copied and pasted it. So I'll ask, can you summarise of Mice and Men simply?
4: Of Mice and Men is a story about two ranch workers, George and Lenny, who are traveling together and looking for work during the Great Depression. Lenny is a large, simple-minded man with a love for soft things, and George is his caretaker and protector. Despite their differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. However, their relationship is ultimately tested when Lenny accidentally kills a wine wife, and George is forced to make a decision to protect Lenny from the consequences of his actions.
1: That's more like it. Now my homework's done, I think I just bought myself some more time on my games console. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking all about curriculum enhancement and design. You can get in contact with us at TT Radio Official or my personal handle at Jeff underscore pedley on Twitter. And I am very pleased to be joined by Martin Robinson tonight, who has recently released a book called Curriculum Revolutions, which is available at John Cat Publications. Hello, Martin. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome uh, back to you as well. <laughs> my uh my next question, if I can find a way to put it, my next question is how do leaders move from a uh reactive to a proactive curriculum, or are they both needed in equal measure? Well, it it's it,
3: this is a hypothetical, of course, so it might be that you have to start off with a reactive because of the chaos around you. Mm. Um it might be completely proactive because you're beginning a new school, you know, you're starting a new or a new department or subject. So I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) sorry to be (laughs) absolutely no help whatsoever. I mean, the, the dream is to be as proactive as possible, obviously, but, but all the time things will happen. Things change, knowledge changes as we garner more knowledge syllabi change exam syllabi change you know things change uh beijing you know peking becomes beijing these these things mean that you have to teach differently at points and the content has to be different so that has to be taken into account at at points um and and big big philosophical uh changes take place depending on the government of the day for example you know so Uh, you have to be very reactive and you also and your head comes in they might be proactive mm
2: -hmm. and say this is now what our curriculum vision you in respect of my next question you've kind of alluded to this already but you explore choosing the curriculum design team who should be on this design team
3: Yeah, so each subject generally has its own curriculum design team what what i'm trying to avoid is going into an english department or a, a maths department or the bigger departments let's say where you have one person in charge of that particular key stage another person mm. in charge of that particular key stage and someone else in charge of that key stage or year or or particular um book or you know I'm in charge of percentages. <laughs> so I'm going to write the stuff for percentages. In other words, the easiest thing to do is to split it all up. So you do that, you do that, you do that, you do that. And of course you do not get joined up thinking. So straight away, you've got one damn thing after another, because you've, you've put the team together in that way. Everyone being delegated an area
2: mm.
3: too. And what you haven't done is think about how those areas knit together and my thesis in the book is if you like that, that we must avoid which is that there is no joined up thinking we need joined up thinking
2: mm. uh I made a little note to myself as well that the idea that it was not not design but awareness is what need is exactly what you say there about the you know different department members you go away and you focus and you write this scheme and you design this this area of the curriculum and also be accountable and responsible for it in yeah before, but you're not
0: because
3: the- everyone might look at it and then say god mine's better than this i wrote yeah. my key stage three is much better than your key stage four so when i close the classroom door i'm going to do what you've written down in my way mm. <laughs> and and sod the rest of you you know yeah um, it, it it's encouraging that sort of reaction. It's it's competitive, if you like, rather than collaborative.
2: And that's why. Do you, and do you think that's why schools then move towards the the ten on your autonomy scale to try and? I mean, the school that yes, I it is. Talk, look. And, yeah. it, let's
3: let's say, look, the uh, just as I said, the anarchy has mm. its has its attractions. You know, so does the authoritarian have its mm. attractions? For instance, if you've got a member of staff who's on a long term illness. You know and someone has to come in halfway through the year to teach a lot of lessons and let's say that person's not a, a subject specialist now what do you do it's better for them to have a script it's better for the kids for that teacher mm-hmm. to have a script i i was um persuaded purloined told to if you like <laughs> told to teach music now i can't teach music i can't play an instrument I mean I can do a bit of karaoke but you know and I had to teach year seven music well there's no way I could teach year seven music in the anarchist approach because I really don't know what's going on so I need the authoritarian
0: Mm.
3: absolutely to be able to teach that subject you know and even then barely got away with it because the kids were some of those kids were far better than me at music than i you know than i could ever be so what what do you do you know now if you've got a fast a turnover of staff or non-specialists mm. then sticking to a good textbook and there's the trouble of course what's the good textbook <clears throat> And that's where people disagree and say, "Well, that's not necessarily a good textbook for us." Which is why some schools and and some schools, uh, maths, etc., have written their own textbooks. You know, for mm. particular subjects, and or are in the process of doing that. Yeah, I can. So I can see the attraction of both. So this is why I say you've really got to think about these things and not. You know, yes, it's funny the the anarchist and the authoritarian. You know in some sort of diametrically opposed way but there are strengths and weaknesses in both
2: how important do you think extracurricular activities are in relation to curriculum content well they count they do count
3: um certainly i think from things i've seen um, post pandemic a lot of rich school experiences and getting kids back in the groove if you like uh, and building on something personal for them a, a, a sort of connection with the school is has been done in in the uh, co-curricular work or the extracurricular work that that schools do you know the enthusiasms the 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 orchestra the outward bound courses you know the Duke of Edinburgh things like that are, are so important and and whether you call it enrichment you know going to see a play or going to um visit a castle or whatever it happens to be you know all all those things i think are are vital but also some subjects you know like field work in geography or or whatever it happens to be have this part of them which which are (laughs) extracurricular which is why it's not really extracurricular to me it's co-curricular i think it tends to be an independent schools call it co-curricular but i think it's a better term and i don't think there's a i think there's far too much stuff which is examined and made important by exams and not enough that's thought about the stuff that isn't examined sometimes and yet they it's it's vital it's vital for for the enjoyment of the kids, the trouble is, of course, is the amount of time it takes for staff as mm-hmm. well. You know, so I, it, it's it has to be back somewhere along the line. And um, but I think it, it's it's proving itself to be vital for some kids, especially now.
2: Mm. And, and alongside that, I say seen alongside that, it's not a, a similar aim. But do you think extra intervention sessions have a place in our curriculum or in our yeah. system? <laughs> Yeah, always, always. You know, if 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 a child has been
3: away because of an illness again, or or because or they've just moved to the school from from another area because their their family have moved or or whatever, mm. then interventions have to come in. I think where's a problem is when the intervention is on mass, where everyone in my class doesn't understand this. Therefore, they have to stay behind on Tuesday afternoon after school or come in on the weekend or come in over the holidays. Because to me, that's a curriculum issue. (laughs) There's something wrong (laughs) if they all have to do it. There's there's a problem there. And if it's every single child in the school doesn't understand photosynthesis by the time they get to year 11, you know, there's a huge problem in your curriculum. You know if it's just one or two kids then you can bet your bottom dollar is down to something that happened with those kids if it's the entire year group or an entire class or everyone taught by a certain teacher at a certain time then you can you can say right okay there are problems in how we get here to this point therefore next year we've got to make sure we do things differently that's the audit Process and and
2: and rethinking your curriculum. I think all teachers like to think that they're teaching a knowledge rich education. How do we know? Not, that we no, no, I don't think all teachers no? do
3: think that. But uh, no, I think there will be a number of teachers who would argue about the concept of knowledge rich and whether it's a good thing or not. So, um this is not necessarily the place to have that argument. But uh, <laughs> I think I think that that there is enough cynicism let's say in parts to and again I think that's an important discussion to have and I wouldn't I wouldn't venture away from it except here because I don't think we've necessarily got enough time but I think that that's an hmm. important discussion to have but go on in,
1: in, <laughs> I'm your, interjected.
3: In,
2: in your own words just just explain what what, what do you understand as a knowledge rich education Ah, you see you
3: see I said Ted said don't go down this route so you immediately followed me down it oh i'm sorry or push me down it push me oh, along sorry. it no less um knowledge rich uh, uh, well let's let's say what the argument might be there is no such thing as people who don't teach knowledge everyone teaches knowledge the the suspicion is that knowledge rich might be an excuse for certain types of knowledge that might be seen by some people as class-based or or race-based in other words dead white men this sort of thing um and i i wouldn't go along with saying that would be knowledge rich it's also the the knowledge skills debate and whether uh some people say there's no such thing as skills or skills are just practicing knowledge and and things like that and then other people say well we need a skills-based curriculum based around topics and projects project-based learning and pbl and and teach things like um perhaps creativity collaboration everything beginning with c and all that so to me a knowledge-based curriculum sorry a knowledge-rich curriculum is one that doesn't go down the 21st century skills route but but talks about the importance of subjects the importance of framing knowledge through different lenses like of, of, most of which are the subjects but not all and and trying to make the understanding of those subjects as deep and broad as possible in the time that you have
2: perhaps that is loose enough (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) how can we uh how can we measure the quality of our content
3: again this this all comes down to the importance of quality but who who decides what's good and what's bad who decides whether the quality is any good and this comes down to my answer to that is you do you're the teachers you're the ones designing this you decide whether the quality is any good or not it has to be the subjective has to be thought through um is this a good enough thing to teach here or are we just trying to get get away with it um to get them through uh, again the minimal we need in order to get them through an exam or the maximal we need them to understand this subject if you like and th- th- they're not necessarily the same thing so the quality is is about what you're trying to do are you trying to teach them a subject or are you trying to get them through an exam now they're not already mutually exclusive you need to get them through the exam i'm not saying you shouldn't do that i'm not saying that should never be an approach but if it's your entire focus for the entire school life of that child then you're not teaching a knowledge rich qualitative approach you're just mm. taking the lowest common denominator and shoving them through
2: an exam important though that is in your uh book curriculum revolutions what we're discussing today you refer to knowledge trees quite often what, what is a knowledge tree and why are they important in curriculum design right
3: we've well, heard of the tree of
2: knowledge <laughs> it's
3: kind of like that there's it's it's no a knowledge tree is it's very difficult to describe it without showing you the picture and this mm. isn't TV I hear mm. I have a strange thing this is teacher talk radio isn't it so it's, we have to rely on something which is extremely visual with talk um we have to a tree. book that's what we do we yeah, have yeah, to well that's the book. another thing I, it, I can
2: see it fine here
3: <laughs> it's beautifully illustrated by David Goodwin who's who's drawn me some trees and let's let's say i've i've already given you um some examples but but how how you actually hide the curriculum up so you do this at subject level you have a tree called science and then you might have two branches that come off there with natural sciences being one and social sciences being another and the social sciences might go off into sociology and well where would you put psychology uh, that, then the other side <laughs> you have the natural sciences and classically you have physics biology chemistry coming there now let's say we already started talking doing this a bit with physics that how do we divide physics up well we could divide it up into particles energy etc etc there's also the types of knowledge that you want to teach um and people We'll argue about this to the cows come home. You know, I mean, what examples do you teach in in English, for example? Mm. You tell me. You tell me. What sort of knowledge do you teach in English?
2: What do you mean going splitting into a literature and language branch, and then from a language point of view, going into grammar and uh, yeah, ana- analysis,
3: etc.? There you go. So it 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 might be something like that. There's specialized knowledge, reasoning there's all these things here it's, um mm. let's i'll just try to actually need to put a light on here exactly there's inductive deductive knowledges mm. there's the one that i always went with is practical and theoretical so mm. in drama you have drama as practical subject and as a theoretical subject the theory of drama and it and i've written here that this has to be effective it has to be useful so it changes the way you teach something so theory for a start would be in a classroom practical would be in a theater or, or a workshop space you know um, so we're doing theory it's very different than we're doing practical um, yeah um, procedural is another thing that people talk about procedural knowledge disciplinary substantive you know these these are the sorts of things Mm. that people divide knowledge up into so it can be that I I know some schools have said right substantive knowledge disciplinary knowledge those are the two distinctions you have to make in your curriculum for the whole school and you end up with someone saying well what's it mean (laughs) what does it mean well, I've tried to explain it a bit in the book, what these different things are, but my argument is is what is useful for the subject, not necessarily what is useful um, for someone to tell you that it's useful for you. So again, the the balance between from below and from above, how do we get that balance right? And for me, if someone says substantive and disciplinary, and I try and impose that onto the subject of drama, I'd find it quite difficult. Mm. But if I say, look, theory and practical because that's generally the way the subject is set up and thought about for years Mm. then can I make that argument instead of disciplinary and substantive you know and and trying to make it fit around those terms but it's the book discusses that Mm. so if you're in a school which is asking you to do it one way and you're in a subject area that doesn't quite fit with that it might give you some ballast to say, well, look, what about this? It, can I do this instead? But it's also then, where do you go with that? So you, you can add branches and I'd leave it to you to add the next branches. You know, you you continue down that way. It's, it's a visual treat if you like, but it's an extremely useful way mm. to think about moving from the abstract to the concrete and what goes on in the classroom. As a way is this useful so uh, a geography teacher was doing this and finding it extremely useful because geography is such a complex subject mm. it has it, it it is at least four subjects within it you know i mean mm-hmm. we know about physical and human geography generally we that's what us non-experts call it but you know there are other aspects to it as well so how would you divide that up and would it affect the teaching of the subject
2: and that's what but i really like about, it. that's what i really like about your book the the amount of vision metaphors and it's well, the the practical processes that you can use as a curriculum designer within there uh and just referring to the, the forward was written by uh tom sheraton wasn't it uh of uh, mm-hmm. uh i'm just reading the, the the quote from the back of the his his quote from the back of the book here a powerful conceptual framework designed with the artful craftsmanship of a beautiful clock an insightful understanding of how teachers thrive and I also <laughs> and I also really like his uh within the forward as well his uh his his own metaphor that he uses for describing uh the, the challenge of, of of curriculum leaders trying to balance balancing time to design a curriculum alongside teachers like attempting to re-engineer a fast car while driving it at full speed <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> yeah yeah except uh, I, I, it's not quite so dangerous <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna kill everyone hopefully <laughs> <Can't
2: imagine. laughs> uh, we've had some uh, tweets in over the last few days and and, and today in reference to uh, curriculum, design. I asked the question specifically for heads of departments and heads of faculties, uh, to, to share when they first, uh, took on the responsibility, what were their, what were their first areas of focus, uh, within the curriculum? I'd just like a sh- share a few, uh, of the quotes here and feel free to, to comment in any shape or form, uh, <laughs> with or not the at point. all. Or not oh, yeah, at I, I, all, I, I, and just 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 sit down and enjoy just, some of the. Just
3: let you do the rest of the show,
2: <laughs> talking, reading your tweets out loud. There you go. <laughs> just uh, yeah, so that <laughs> you just sit back you just disconnect. Have, put your feet just, you up, a coffee. Uh, so, for example, Mr. Ross at Mr. Ross ICT. He said, when I became uh, head of department, I looked at key stage three and looked to build the right skills and knowledge moving forward to GCSE. I had to firefight at key stage four for a few years as they didn't have the early knowledge base for the qualifications I wanted them to do.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean,
2: this is an interesting
3: one Mm. because if you were to take key stage four as your starting point, Mm. And to work your way back and then just put in the key bits of knowledge they're lacking you could say that is kind of using the gcse exam to structure the whole curriculum Mm. now in content heavy subjects and people argue about aren't all the subjects content heavy but we could argue that point Uh, perhaps not content heavy but Subject with lots of stuff, then you can see why people want to do that. But he's got an interesting reverse around there because he's subtly talking about something that might be slightly different. We're only judging him from a half-heard tweet,
2: mm.
3: or I'm only judging him from a half-heard tweet. So I, I, I do not want to say this is what he has done, or he is thinking this, but. Foundational knowledge is vital, and key stage three is in secondary schools is a great time for teaching foundational knowledge. Uh, middle schools are a, a, you know, and prep schools go up to thirteen, uh, and places like that is slightly different. And you could argue that primary schools a lot of should be foundational knowledge, but th- these are all. Issues to, to think about, but foundational knowledge that the knowledge by which what I call in the book further up the triangle. And that's the upside down triangle that isn't upside down. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read the book.
2: Buy the book, <laughs> John Cap Publications. I have a tweet here from Mr. Hall's Maths. Uh, he takes a resource uh, focus. My first area of focus was looking at the resources that each individual teacher wished they had and then budgeted within reason to support that. Next was the curriculum. Uh, I'm going from top down. I know the end game, so we're planning based around that. Uh, Kirsty Hair <laughs> at khare underscore business education. Uh, I took time to observe the department. Uh, to learn what was working and where key development areas were spoke to staff and pupils then gradually implemented change so that everybody was on the same page i started in february and then waited until a new timetable to make changes and uh at at mrs uh, sorry at miss underscore g johnston said i got everybody contributing to shared schemes of work <laughs> that no uh, no no look no,
3: I this is why I'm. I've got, I've got to be careful about commenting because I could be trashing someone's <laughs> entire oeuvre for, based on a couple of sentences on a tweet, and I don't mm. think that's that's fair. Really, um, if I, I mean, in the abstract, you you know, I, I, the mm. thing about buy-in for me is important, mm. but but please, I can understand in, in different situations which mm. you go into why the. The idea is in the short term, perhaps we have to make changes. We're going to do it my way or the highway. You know, mm. it's my way or the highway. Um, and you're all going to come around to my way of thinking. Um, I can understand why some are to do that, as especially if you haven't got any time as departments to work together. How do we make that time? I think is is one of the issues. And and a lot of that mm. is built around the idea of trust.
2: Mm. I was I was um, just about to say that we haven't really talked about the social dynamics of a department in in, well, in in the detail. But what I like about uh, things that we've explored today is it's honest. You know, it's open yeah. and honest. You've talked a few times about you know we are so independent inside that classroom. We shut the door and we we can say all the right things and we can tick all the right boxes. But we are masters of our classroom. And I think that's what's so good about the processes and the and the, the toolkit that you that you've developed here, is that it allows honest discussions and areas of weakness and all of this, but in a in an environment or an, within a system or a structure indeed that that still is moving things forward. You know, is still progressive. Yeah, it's it, it it it
3: by being open with each other and building a high trust environment.
2: Mm.
3: I think is' the only way to to really structure a, a, a very strong curriculum
2: mm.
3: um because of that, I close the door and do what I damn well like. you know, even if you give me a script, I can ignore it you know yeah. until you come in and I go oh <laughs> unless you video me all the time and then you've got to watch me all the bloody time on that video. <laughs> so you know <laughs> so if you're if you're like that, if you really want to do it why not do it yourself <laughs> you know why don't you just yeah, yeah. get in there and just teach it yourself from a screen or, or you want to do you know big brother I don't know you know it 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 really needs the buy-in for from all members of staff without the buy-in I don't think you can ever have a system that works at its peak um and therefore to get buy-in you've got to have open debate and open discussion but like I said before with with the proviso that we have to we have to come to decisions and we have to do this by a certain time but I think it's worth giving that time and I think it's David didow or someone who's who recommended at least an hour a week in a school for your teachers to talk about curriculum together to, to work this through. Now the process about talking about curriculum is that we can talk and talk and talk and never get anywhere, but at least we've had the discussion. What I've done with the the book is give you a structure for those talks. So decisions are made.
2: Martin, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to talk about curriculum revolutions and, uh, yeah and thank you so much for uh for sharing your comments with us over this hour i've enjoyed it thank you thank you, thank you so you much jeff. thank you jeff for giving up your time for me <laughs> You're to, welcome. To, uh, to sell my wares on your <laughs> on
3: your delightful show thank you
2: So, without further ado, I suppose I better mention where you can pick up a copy of his book. His book is called Curriculum Revolutions. It's available through John Cat Educational, uh, a practical guide to enhancing what you teach. The John Cat website, you can find uh, johncatbookshop.com. And also, if you'd like to keep informed with Martin himself, he has his Twitter at Trivium. 21C at Trivium 21st Century. So I'll just say that again at T R I V I U M 21C, and you can keep informed of all updates of his new publications as well. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's been a very interesting talk all about curriculum design, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye bye.